0: Hello, Hello, horror fanatics! fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! The
1: the horror. Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy.
0: If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts.
1: You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to... Our email address at OTH at seriouslydecent.com. And you can uh, check our website out at OTheHorrorPodcast.com. Salem Witch Trials.
0: Salem Witch Trials. Here
1: we are. Here we go. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Through the miracle of editing, here we are. Here we go. Yes.
0: Sources. Sources. Let's get right to this. Yeah, why don't you... um, I've got two. The unobscured podcast by Aaron Mankey. It's season one. He does the entire season is on the Salem Witch trials mm-hmm. with several historians.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, but it's not a dry podcast because you know sometimes when historians are involved, oh, yeah, you're like, you know, get to the point. And then the other is the book *Wicked Salem*, exploring the lingering lore and legends by Sam Beltrusis.
1: Wicked Salem.
0: Dun dun dun.
1: Yeah, right. I'm gonna put my water over here.
0: Do you think you won't hit it? And well, because I'm it? gonna be doing a lot yeah. of this,
1: so. <laughs> I know. Uh, my reputation, my reputation proceeds. Get proceeds your
0: affairs me. in order.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I have two sources. I have my favorite series, the hourly series.
0: Your Frankie Two Sources?
1: Yeah. The book is called Salem Witch Trials, A History from Beginning to End. And I'm a huge fan. If this is uh, the first time you've heard the show, I'm a huge fan of the hourly history books. Yes. Absolutely love them. Yep. Second source, very hefty. Didn't pull much, but it was a little just extra, extra stuff. The Salem Witch Trials, a day-by-day chronicle of a community under siege by Marilyn K. Roach. Mm-hmm. We picked this up actually at Wicked,
0: uh, Wicked, Good Books. Wicked
1: Good Books in Salem. On
0: Essex Street. And
1: it's a, uh, it's a great book. She put a lot of care into the book, and it really does go day-by-day day accounts as best as she could. Mm-hmm. She gathered a lot of sources, talked to a lot of historians, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's phenomenal. However, to do an hour, hour and a half podcast, it was too deep.
0: I was going to if say, we I'm were looking do, at your book and it's got to be what? 800 pages?
1: Um, I Yeah, it's about 700 pages, including all the kind of sources in the right, back. Right, yeah. But the introduction alone was 20 pages. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. would have been enough. Honestly, I think what would have been good of the book was if she spread that 20 pages of the introduction throughout throughout the periods yeah. of time because yeah. it was chronological as well but that's nothing against the book the book's no. fantastic yep if we were gonna do like a six episode series
0: right like if we were gonna pull an Aaron Mankey I would do... lean
1: on this source mm-hmm. hard hard
0: <laughs> really okay so
1: we're gonna get into it because this is um it's a lot it's a lot and we we have a tendency to get carried away. We know. What?
0: So. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) We are like task masters.
1: See what's happening here? No. (laughs) (laughs) So the Salem Witch Trials took place in the town of Salem in 1692 to 1693. Uh And I think before we get into any kind of lifting at all, it's amazing to think that most of this happened in just a year's time. It's Correct. absolutely incredible.
0: Um, and I just want to throw in a little something. It's just a, a little distinction. The podcast brings to light some of the fuel that serves the flames for this witch trial. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Putnam family lived in Salem Village, which was an offshoot of Salem Town. I'm going to get into okay. that. Yeah. Salem Town was the more wealthy of the two and mm-hmm. depended on the goods from Salem Village to prosper. Yeah, Salem Village was like the breadbasket of the town. Yeah. So a lot of the accused are from I'm, Salem Village. I'm going to
1: get into that. Yeah. Cool. So Salem was located in the British colony of Massachusetts in North America. It was founded and governed by Puritans. And they were basically an austere Christian sect that had sought refuge in North America about 70 years prior to when this happened. The ordeal itself began when a small group of young women, most of them between 12 and 20 years of age, began accusing members of their community of using witchcraft to harm or torment them. Yes. And basically to... This is again a, a total different time, total different type of people, total different type of living. Yeah, Puritans it should be were be noted
0: the Puritans were
1: They were in a constant battle yes. between forces of good and evil. Yes. And they believed, truly believed that the devil stalked them. They did. And that it was just constant this constant temptation to get them away from their god.
0: One of the things that really um, pissed off the Puritans was the halfway covenant, which essentially said as long as you were baptized, you were considered a member of the church, mm-hmm. and that meant you could get your your babies baptized, et cetera. Yeah. And the Puritans wanted none of that. They wanted you to follow the religious. Like, well, you had to no, be and a full-fledged member.
1: That's the thing is, you know, so basically once— uh, You know, once one person became a witch and entered into allegiance with the devil, the Puritans believed that they would assist the devil in securing more souls. Yes. This just wasn't a one and done idea. And the threat posed by witches within the Salem community felt very real and incredibly dangerous for the people at the time. You really have to have the premise of this before we start getting into this because it's crazy. Yes. Basically, by the time the Salem witch trials ended, more than 200 people had been accused. Yes. The accusations likely haunted them for the rest of their lives. And furthermore, 19 people were hanged, one person was crushed to death, and five more died in prison. Yes. It really just affected Salem for the longest period of time. It did. And basically... To go back it seventy be noted, years, It wasn't
0: just Salem. Like it, no, it, I, it affected Andover. Yeah, it, it spread.
1: No, it's it. Just this is what happens basically when humanity fails on all levels. Correct, and and stays when deep into an idea that fear
0: takes over.
1: Well, yeah, but stays deep into an idea that will bury them. Right, but basically. The Puritans made a decision to attempt a settlement in North America. And in 1620, 102 passengers set sail on the Mayflower. And after 10 grueling weeks, they landed in present-day Massachusetts and founded Plymouth Colony, just to get a little primer of them getting in there. They landed in uh, November, which was very unfortunate because the winters in New England were, and at that time, were brutal.
0: They still are.
1: Oh, yeah. Fun fact,
0: uh, I have ancestors that came over on the Mayflower, John Alden and Priscilla Mullen.
1: Oh, how about that? Mm -hmm. So only half of the original Mayflower passengers survived until the spring. The winter just beat them up. And uh, they did so only because of the generous help of the local native peoples. Yes. After surviving the initial winter, the Puritans were eventually successful in establishing a settlement in the New World. Within a couple of years, the population was increasing. In 1629, King Charles granted a charter for the Massachusetts Bay Colony. The following year, the Great Puritan Migration began, and this lasted about 10 years. And even after 1640, the Puritan population continued to expand in Massachusetts, but it was more basically due to births than migration. Right. And so they believed in the predestination of souls. This meant that they believed that God had already determined who was to be saved and ascend to heaven and who was damned to be cast into hell to suffer for all eternity. And basically the idea was that there is nothing you can do to earn God's grace in reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, It functioned as a powerful mechanism of social control, and Puritans were compelled to conform in order to demonstrate to their society that they were among the blessed and not the damned, and to prevent ostrac- ostracization and even excommunication. And it became even more powerful force in the New World since there was nowhere else to go should your community decide you are dangerous. Correct. And that's a very deep theme here. Many of the people believed that since the Puritans journey to the new world in order to seek freedom and to practice their religion, therefore promoted religious freedom. But this was not the case. Puritans did not outright ban other faiths, but they did often persecute or ostracize people of other Christian sects.
0: Correct.
1: So in addition, Puritans were very concerned about outside influences on their society. This is a big problem. They definitely, were also
0: very concerned with who they allowed to become a member of their congregation.
1: Well, and the tough part was, is this scrutiny was big on its mm-hmm. younger members because one of the reasons they migrated in the first place was to escape all of these influences. And so they became extremely protective of their insular communities in a new world. This was one of the reasons why the trials occurred when they did, as the non-Puritan population in the region grew, Puritans became fearful and developed pretty much a pathological desire to root out dissent and opposition. Yes. So you got life in colonial New England at this point. And the first permanent British colony, Virginia, was established in 1607. 13 years later, the first Puritans landed at Massachusetts Bay and so on and so forth. It goes through. And basically the new arrivals were a problem as talking earlier. And this gets into the point where you had the growing populations of non-Puritans in and around Massachusetts and Salem itself. This presents the challenges to Puritan people, especially the younger generation. And it's telling that the first three women arrested on charges of witchcraft were all outsiders or non-conformists to Puritan life in some way. So that's how this all sprung out yes. it was three women that were outsiders. And Salem itself was also going through this major change. The municipality had split into two different settlements, which Jen was talking about earlier. He had Salem town and Salem village. The population of the village was mostly subsistence farmers and the town on the other hand had a very powerful merchant class tied to ocean going since Salem is located on the bay. The village, which was further inland, desired autonomy from the town. They did. But the town depended on the village farmers for both food and as customers of many of the businesses that they had in there.
0: They also depended on them as um, they had to serve in the Salem militia. They mm-hmm. had to work in the night watch, and they had to attend the church services in Salem town.
1: Yeah, and it was Salem Village that elected <laughs> Samuel Paris as their minister, Who was a stern and strict Puritan? Yes. He would be at the center of the witch trials, and he was unpopular with Salem Town. Yes. Further dividing the two entities, all that said, the village was not completely independent and shared some institutions of government with the town, including courts. Correct. So finally, Salem's experiencing this major feud at the time with two of its oldest families, the Putnam's and the Porters. Yes. Both were very powerful, very wealthy but in different ways that reflected the growing cultural divide between the residents of Salem. The Putnam's were farmers Mm -hmm. and followed Puritan doctrine and lifestyle very closely. The porters on the other hand were part of that growing merchant class years before the witch trials, witch trials broke out the porters were responsible for flooding Putnam land and the rift only grew from there and a lawsuit, ongoing conflict, and in, in which almost all the residents of Salem started taking sides. So you had this right. this rift in Salem.
0: And if Salem Village had become like its own governing body, the Porter's land, half part of their land was in Salem Village, and part of it was in Salem Town. Yeah. So they they were very much all about can't we just get along? And oh yeah. Keep this going, but both
1: families were at the heart of yep, the very were. first accusations. Mm -hmm. So now we got to kind of go into a separate direction and talk about race a bit because race was largely understood in terms of what you would know as quote unquote, the other. And this meant not necessarily people of other skin tones, although that was a major determining factor, but it was also lifestyles, languages and religion were unfamiliar or even threatening anything different. Yep. And all these factors Um, Even issues of gender crystallized around the figure of Tituba. um, I'm pronouncing that right. Tituba. Or Tituba, a, a Caribbean slave living amongst the Puritans who was central to the story of Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. And as we'll see, she was still enslaved, was the very first person arrested for witchcraft. She had been an outcast in the community and had apparently engaged the young girls who made the first accusations in fortune telling. And she fit the bill as a quote unquote other in every single way that one could imagine. She was enslaved. She was from a different culture. She apparently still maintained in practice, you know, kept and maintained practices that flew in the face of Puritan religious doctrine. Mm -hmm. And according to the Puritans belief system, women were weaker than men not only physically, but also morally. Therefore, they were more susceptible to temptations of the devil in the first place. And this idea...
0: Did the Puritans read the Malus Maleficarum?
1: Well, because it was all part of that (laughs) Protestant-Catholic deal. And like the Protestants were getting mad at the Catholics because the Catholics weren't following everything by the Bible. Yes. And the Puritans were the aggressive Protestants. Mm -hmm. So that's where all of this comes through. More information on that, in Mal Smalfikarum, our previous episode. Yeah, suggest you take it for a spin. So, in addition, the Salem witch trials were certainly not the first witch trials in Christian history, no. or even Puritan history. Nor were they the last, unfortunately. Although witch hunts date back to ancient times and were not uncommon during the medieval period of Middle Ages, they peaked between about fourteen fifty to seventeen fifty in European societies. Coincidentally,
0: when the Malus Maleficarum had its highest printings.
1: No, exactly. It's it's all connected. Uh, And this meant that Salem, though, was actually at the tail end of the trend. Yes. And they peaked in number and fervor and then died down again for a period of time before spiking again. Significantly, the English Witchcraft Act of 1542 codified the illegality of witchcraft. And then the Pendle uh, Witch Trials of 1612 condemned and executed 10 alleged witches on murder charges. After that, the middle of the English Civil War, a Puritan man named Matthew Hopkins led a massive witch hunt movement in England that resulted in the executions of more than 100 people between 1644 and 1646. And basically, this all fueled into this ending kind of note. And winters in New England were always difficult. But the winter of 1691 to 1692 was particularly cold, with seemingly endless snowfall, ice, and other conditions that made it difficult to live, let alone find comfort. While not a major element, it certainly contributed to the dismal outlook and atmosphere of the time. Mm -hmm. It is also possible that some Puritans saw the hard winter as proof of God's anger with them, although this idea itself is not proven. Right. So this is where the accusations start to come in. Right. We had to do a bit of that primer because I, I wanted to do that bit of a primer to show that it's, it wasn't one thing.
0: No, it was a hot thing. It
1: was just a combination of things. Yeah. And we'll dive was, into even more.
0: It was a perfect storm. Yep.
1: But one of the biggest mysteries that still surrounds Salem witch trials is the behaviors of the accusers themselves. So from what, uh, you know, what could they have been suffering or experiencing that would have caused such conduct? And there's a couple possibilities. Some experts in child psychology posit uh, that it is possible that one or more of the first accusers was a victim of some kind of abuse that's tossed Mm -hmm. around. The behavior may have been coping strategy for a child who was unable to verbalize the, you know, their trauma. Right. If, uh, if that was the case, it was likely some of the other children mimicked the original girl's behavior. Correct. Or perhaps also suffering similar abuse. Another possibility was originally um, put forward by scientists in the 1970s that said girls suffered from convulsive uh, ergotism. Basically a fungus ergot from which LSD is derived and it grows on rye, which the Puritans used to make bread. Right. The particular circumstances needed for the fungus to grow were present at the time of the trials. Convulsive uh, ergotism uh, causes some of the symptoms the girls experienced, including fits, convulsions similar to seizures, and crawling skin. The girls complained of being pinched and scratched. Mm-hmm. It can also uh, cause hallucinaza- uh, hallucinations, Hallucination. uh, which uh, children in the Puritan, you know, they were basically attributing to witches. And then, of course, there's the possibility that the girls invented and play-acted their symptoms for a variety of reasons. Personally, I'm in this one. Yeah, It is worth mentioning that Cotton Mather's book, Memorable Providences," relating to witchcraft and possessions, was published just a few years before 1692. Mm -hmm. And it contained a detailed description of the symptoms of young women possessed by witches, one that was eerily reminiscent of the behavior of Betty and... And their other friends reading was a priority for puritans who valued education and that book was widely circulated
0: yes it should also be noted that several historians have ruled out the ergo the mm-hmm. ergotism as a possible cause of this because from everything that they know the symptoms don't just go away. No. When you have that poisoning, it stays with you forever. And then they were saying that part of it is like, you know, your ears fall off and yeah. stuff like that. And none of that happened. Yep. So they're kind of ruling that out as a possibility. And they're oh, yeah. also saying yeah. that the Puritans knew about the ergot poisoning and they knew what to look for and no, they knew exactly. not to consume it.
1: Exactly. And that's where, again, I go with that latter one, that they yep. invented it and play acted it. I always kind of thought that, but my proof, proof along with the hourly history book here
0: is from the cotton, was Mather, from book? The
1: cotton Mather book. And with just that years. Yeah. And again, yep. everybody was able to read. Uh, mm-hmm. So they just had that implanted in. And if that was the case, then, you know, if that was the case that in, the first in, accusations occurred after the girls pretended to be bewitched, it is highly unlikely that what unfolded afterward was somewhat out of their hands it is hard to imagine that a group of children would have had the forethought to know that their actions would have had such dramatic and tragic consequences. No. And I literally look at this as, I think this was something that the kids got into, and
0: yeah. then it
1: just blew up into this other I thing. I think
0: they were bored kids. They had this knowledge from the book, and they're like, hey,
1: well, wh- I, what would
0: happen if you I get we into were it a little bewitched? more, too. I think...
1: Okay. I think um, I'll get to that in a bit, but it also seems entirely plausible that after being caught in the act of wrongdoing, this is where I connect the dots, you know, basically telling fortunes with this outcast.
0: Right. Yep.
1: Basically, they had they cried witchcraft to get out of trouble.
0: Right. Yes. And
1: in such an austere and intolerant society, you got to keep going back to that. Yes. It would not be out of character with what we now know about child development and the stage of development that their brains were in at the time mm-hmm. they got caught yep. they had to get out of whatever yep. they were getting into. i got
0: to get out of trouble in a
1: very strict and intolerant group of people or yeah. a society of culture yeah it's now serious
0: if they can get out of a beating they're well not no but get it's just instantly it.
1: yeah. serious being caught in that yes it's just serious mm-hmm. and if you make it serious to get caught and you have no option of redemption mm-hmm. or to yeah. make with yourself, then it gets this slippery slope. So it's best to understand this as the best option for many of them had to save their lives. If a person denied being a witch and were convicted by the courts, they usually faced death. But if a person confessed and especially if they named others, they were more likely to be spared. Yes. And that's a recipe for disaster. Yes. And especially if they showed genuine remorse and attempts to reconcile their sins, this was another factor that exa- exacerbated the Salem witch trials. And that's the heart of it right here. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. You, you have this, you know, this option where basically if you denied being a witch and you're convicted of it, you're gone. Yes. So now, death being the option of that, and you don't want to die, you're going to confess and you're going to name others.
0: Right. And you're gonna and you also know, when you confess to being a witch, you lose your property, you oh, lose your everything. status, you lose everything. Everything. On top of your life.
1: And and they wholesomely believe that <laughs> if the devil was powerful enough to corrupt an upstanding member of the community and followers of God, then no one was safe.
0: Correct.
1: And certainly this contributed to the sense of hysteria that just basically permeated every aspect of Puritan life during the last weeks of a brutal winter. Yes. You know, so now you've got mass hysteria in here. Mm -hmm. And as the alleged witches were arrested, they were brought before local magistrates for questioning. Mm -hmm. They were not allowed representation by a lawyer. And they had to argue for themselves. Yes. Even the accused children had to. Yes. And basically this brings in, um, let me see. Yeah. Even if you were admitted, you know, if you were admitted to lying about allegations of witchcraft, you were tossed away, Mm -hmm. you know, so several people were arrested after defending Rebecca nurse. And what this tells us is the level of conformity and fear that accompanied the accusations of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. That's where I brought that one instance up because basically any dissent a refute of the charges of witchcraft very often led to arrest and accusations of one's own. Yes. So no wonder it was so difficult to slow the proceedings. I mean, you've got these obvious risks involved in doing so, as the people of Salem saw that happened to nurses' defenders. And at the end of April, perhaps the most shocking accusation to date was made, uh, several of the girls accused the former Salem minister, George Burroughs, He was arrested in Maine in late April. Yes. And brought to Salem to stand trial. And this is crazy because during his time as a minister, his wages were unpaid by the village.
0: Correct. And
1: he had to borrow money from Thomas Putnam to bury his wife in 1681. He left the village in 1683 without repaying his debts. Yes. But he had gone, he was gone almost a decade before the girls in Salem accused him and forced his return. Yep. And he would be among those executed. And he famously recited the the Lord's Prayer before he was hung. He did. And that was, you know, it was believed a witch could not recite this prayer. And that it represented another moment of doubt about right. the veracity mm-hmm. of the accusations. But you have these accusations that are just coming through. Yep. And <clears throat> if you are not going to be in a rush to defend him because you're going to get sucked into this. Because if I defended you, Jen... But the courts somehow figured out and the girls said, no, you are a witch. Now I'm in trouble.
0: Yeah, and it for should also you. be noted that just to go to the to the trial hearings or a, a pre-trial hearing, that put you in front of the afflicted girls. Mm-hmm. So it just by being there and listening without even saying a word, you opened yourself up to accusations. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and the the fact that people got to understand is this happened quick.
0: Yes. It happened real quick. That's exactly what happened to the Coreys. Yeah. They so, were one of the very first to just vi- go to the trial hearings. Yeah. And then before you know it.
1: No, and it, it was very quick. I mean, like if someone accused you, Jen, say, you know, a couple of the girls said, <laughs> no, you know, Jen's a witch too. You would be brought in and you could be pretty much accused in... A couple of days yes some were getting executed within a week's time yeah it's just boom 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 yeah. boom, real quick it,
0: they took the accused to local taverns mm-hmm. to be stripped and searched for witch marks yeah and that was and if they found something and it was a a mole or a blemish that was a mark of the devil and that was enough To be considered evidence that you were a witch.
1: Well, and then an ongoing question during the trials involved the inclusion of spectral evidence. Correct. Spectral evidence would become some of the most dramatic and memorable parts of the trials. Yes. And it is the testimony from accusers or witnesses about the appearance of the accused spirit to the witches apart from the accused body. Right. So in other words, admitting this kind of testimony would allow the girls who made the accusations of witchcraft to testify that the spirits of people they accused visited and tormented them, even if the alleged witch were in a completely different location. Right. Which is the preacher, or the minister that we were talking about right. earlier. Yeah. In the end, they started supporting its relevancy and they generally allowed it to ad- admission and evidence.
0: Correct. It's because they, they thought witches could leave their bodies as the specter. And then that's that specter that entity would then do the dirty work of the witch Yep. that's where that spectral evidence and they got this court together and yep. the
1: first person to stand the trial before interminer. this court <laughs> yep the first person to stand before this court to stand trial was bridget bishop who was yes. accused by five of the young women little yes. is known of her although she uh, may have owned a tavern in the town of Salem i she some, were
0: uh, details on this Bishop. If
1: she were, in fact, a tavern owner, it would have placed her in the category of unconventional women who flouted the norms of Puritan society, many of whom were accused alongside Bishop. She was convicted on June 2nd and hanged eight days later. Yes. The first person executed for witchcraft in the Salem Witch Trials.
0: Bridget Bishop's story is recreated each Halloween season in an interactive play called mm-hmm. Cry Innocent from the Old Town Hall in Salem. She was the first of 20 to be executed, was the only victim hung alone at Proctor's Ledge. She's rumored to have run a scandalous tavern near present-day Turner Seafood, but this is not true. She's been confused with Sarah and Edward Bishop, who did run a watering hole out of their home. Her neighbors did believe her to be both a witch and a thief. She was accused and executed within a few weeks, and some historians feel she was easy prey as she owned land, and she defied the puritanical status quo. She dressed provocatively for the era. She bought fancy lace that she had dyed by Samuel and Sarah Shattuck, and for this service, she had paid two pence, and when the money went missing, Shattuck blamed it on witchery. Mm-hmm after bishop paid a few social calls to the shattuck uh, household their son started crying incessantly and became stupefied and devoid of reason cotton mather stated in his book the wonders of the invisible world which he print or had printed the year after after the, the salem witch trials that several people testified that her specter would pinch choke and bite the alleged victims and one person testified that Bishop threatened to drown her if she did not sign the devil's book. Mm -hmm. In addition to owning an orchard, Bishop also owned a house on the easterly side of Washington Street that she sometimes leased to tenants. When two carpenters, John and William Bly, worked on the basement walls of her Salem home, they found puppets with pins stuck in them. The Bly family, uh, they were living on nearby Summer Street, also testified that Bishop bewitched a pig they had purchased from her. After an argument regarding payment, the pig started having, quote-unquote, fits. The pig lost its senses, became deaf and blind, refused to suckle its young, and repeatedly beat its head on the fence. The proof she had bewitched the pig? It spent hours running back and forth between the Bishop and Bly (laughs) Bly homesteads. That was the proof. Yeah. At her trial on March 24th, 1692, several witnesses testified that a poltergeist attack took place as Bishop was being taken under guard past the town meeting house. It was a stone's throw from the Salem home, or from her Salem home, and the present-day location of the Lyceum Hall. A demon invisibly entered the meeting house, tore down part of it so though there was no person to be seen, yet the people at the noise running in found a board which was strongly fastened with several nails was transported into another uh, quarter of the house. So Mm -hmm. they're saying that this poltergeist activity happened as she was being taken in. And Bridget haunts the current Lyceum Hall, which is the current location of Turner Seafood. And the building is located on what was once her orchard. Mm -hmm. The lecture hall was built on her land. It's amazing
1: to think that there was an orchard there, the way you see it now, you know.
0: Well, buckle up. (laughs) And it's here that Nathaniel Hawthorne was secretary in 1848. And Alexander Graham Bell also gave a spirited lecture at the 43 Church Street location where he talked about The telephone. Mm -hmm. And in 1894, the building was destroyed in a fire, and a two-story brick building was built in its place and reopened as the Colonial Cafe in 1935. Stories of ghosts have emerged since the Lyceum building opened as a restaurant in 1973. Mm -hmm. It had different names over the years, such as the Lyceum Bar and Grill, which opened in 1989, and 43 Church. There is a ghostly woman in a long white gown. Uh, it's a full-body apparition that appears, and it has been seen on the staircase at Turner Seafood. Voices and footsteps are also common, along with poltergeist activity like moving chairs. Some smell apple blossoms, while others actually find apples placed around the structure. And, you know, we've been there. Mm-hmm. There are no apple trees near the Lyceum.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's... um. And it's crazy because after the execution of Bridget Bishop, the courts actually paused their proceedings. Uh And, you know, it's perhaps probably to grapple with their own actions and stuff. What did we just do? Yeah. and, And what's amazing, and this just shows you how deep it was, like everybody wants to say, oh, it was just some men in a courtroom and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was much more than that. Yeah. The people running the court, the judges, they actually sought advice from outsiders about how to proceed with the rest of the trials. They did. And they resumed. Uh, It was a little bit, uh, they were going to question the spectral evidence stuff, but they even brought that in. And they resumed back on June uh, 30th uh, at the end of the month. And five women, including Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Good, were hanged on July 19th. Within the next month, grand juries indicted several people, and the court held more trials. On August 19th, five more alleged witches were hanged. Elizabeth Proctor would have been among them, but she was granted a stay of execution because she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Her husband, John, though, was not so lucky, and he went to the gallows on the 19th. And many would have thought that after more than 10 deaths, the hysteria would have calmed, nope. but that was not the case no. at all. And in September, the grand jury indicted 18 more people, basically doubling down yep. on the charge of witchcraft. So at this point, it's just a strange... It's a locomotive and it's just going full blast. So, and the trials proceeded unabated. And at the same time, the uh, allegations of witchcraft were spreading to neighboring communities. Yes. It's starting to spread at this point. Yep. And it's difficult to imagine the magnitude of paranoia that must have permeated the town and village of Salem. Not only were the accusations of young girls being taken seriously, but many people were being executed. It was also hard to miss that the condemned were very often people who had feuded with the girls' families or had deviated from societal norms in some way. Mm -hmm. Undoubtedly, this sense of fear created an atmosphere of a very oppressive conformity, one that would outlast the trials themselves for decades. So I was going to get into uh, Corey's death by pressing.
0: I would like to get into Sarah Good. Yeah, go for it. Because she, two curses were laid on Salem during the witch trials, Yeah, and Sarah Good was the first. Mm -hmm. She was reduced to poverty due to her first husband's debt. She was pregnant at the time, and she had two young daughters, no money, and they're saying she was most likely homeless in early 1692. Yeah, Creditors had seized her home after she married her second husband, William. According to legend, she would knock on doors begging for supplies. And when she approached Reverend Samuel Parris, he turned her away. She was accused of witchcraft on March 6, 1692, by Abigail Williams and Elizabeth Parris. They claimed to have been bitten, pinched, and abused by her specter. Good's five-year-old daughter, Dorothy, incorrectly named as Dorcas on the warrant for her arrest was questioned because she supposedly caused repeated bites on the arms of the afflicted girl. Her five-year-old daughter, Dorothy, was the youngest accused witch. The, and she was the youngest to be jailed for witchcraft. She was sent to the prison keeper's house in Salem and was then visited by the town officials. It was during the investigation that Dorothy claimed she owned a snake that was given to her by her mother. They believed this to be a sign of witchcraft, and the snake was her familiar. Yeah. On June 2nd, 1692, it was declared that Good, who, as I had stated, had been pregnant, She had lost her unborn child in Ipswich. They're saying she actually murdered the infant. And this is according to the ghost child's testimony. The infant, as recounted by Joanna Chibin during the witch trials, the ghost child, the dead infant, (laughs) said called her mother a witch and said that her own mother had Murdered her. She was hanged at Proctor's Ledge on July 19th, 1692. Dorothy was kept in the Ipswich Jail until December when her dad bailed her out. And she had suffered such serious psychological scars that they're saying that they're pretty sure, based on the historical evidence they can find, that she went insane as a result. Mm -hmm. Sarah Good cursed Reverend Nicholas Noyes. Reverend Noyes demanded a confession, and she shot back, calling the Reverend a liar. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard, and if you take my life, God will give you blood to drink. Noyes died several years later from a brain hemorrhage, and as he was expiring, blood gushed from his mouth, and his family remembered the curse that Sarah had uttered. Mm. Do you want to get into Giles Corey? Because... He did the second curse. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I'll I'll run with that and then I'll pass it over to you on, okay. on that end of it. But basically at this point, we're looking at September 19th and prior. It's just only getting worse. And as the autumn approached, grand juries handed down 18 more indictments in early September. And I mean, you think about it, in early September, 18 indictments. That's yeah. every day. Yeah. That's every day someone's yeah. getting brought in. Yeah. And then on September 19th, one of the most infamous and gruesome events of the trials occurred, and that was the death of Giles Corey. Born in, New, uh, born in England in 1611, he came to Massachusetts early, uh, early on during the Puritan migration. The Salem Witch Trials was not his first experience with the law. About 15 years prior, he beat one of his indentured servants so severely that the man eventually died. However, using force against indentured service was permitted at the time. And uh, he was cleared of all charges. Again, just to tell you.
0: But he was heavily fined.
1: How different the times were. Mm-hmm. Basically, when Corey turned or, you know, appeared in court after being indicted, he refused to enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. And this created a problem because under the laws in force at the time, without a plea, he could not be tried. Mm-hmm. So, in an attempt to force him into a plea, the courts used a method called uh Pien forte et 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 dur. Corey was uh, stripped of all clothing and forced to lay on his back with boards placed all over his body. Then, heavy rocks and boulders were slowly placed on the boards. And it's the term called pressing. Yes. The idea was that the victim would relent and enter a plea under such incredible pain. But Corey did not give in. He refused to participate in anything about the trials and was slowly crushed to death. Yes. Corey's indictment occurred around the same time that his wife, along with five others, was uh, convicted of witchcraft. Witnessing her trial may have been a factor on his refusal to enter a plea. He may have seen himself as condemned one way or the other. This is, again, when you don't provide an exit Mm -hmm. strategy for someone, it gets bad. After all, nine more people were convicted two days before he was crushed. His wife, along with seven others, were hanged on September 22nd, which, again, you're only looking at uh, three days later Mm -hmm. after his death.
0: So we mentioned that he bludgeoned his hired hand, Jacob Goodall, which resulted in his death. Mary, which was Corey's second wife and Jacob's brother, sent Jacob to a healer, but it was too late. late. And in the autopsy, the doctor said the farm had had clotters of blood about his heart. He was declared murdered based on the evidence. And in the trial, John Proctor testified that Corey admitted striking Goodall. It is assumed Corey and Goodall frequented uh, Proctor's Tavern. Elisha Kibbe testified that he tried to stop Corey from hitting Goodall with an extremely stout stick, but the landowner managed to strike Goodall with at least 100 blows, and apparently the farmhand was regularly flogged for underperforming. Corey was not convicted of the murder, but he was heavily fined. Ann Putnam Jr. testified that a man specter told her that Giles Corey had murdered him years before she was born. The ghost told her that Giles Corey entered into a covenant with Satan to avoid the murder charge. She also claimed that the ghost insisted that it must be done to him as it had been done to me. The specter also threatened to press her to death. Now, it should be noted that uh, Giles did not press the man to death. He beat him to death. Yeah, yeah. In 1692, Giles and his third wife, Martha, were some of the first to attend the pretrial examinations at the meeting house in Salem Village. He was curious. She had a bad vibe, and in fact... She hid his saddle so that he wouldn't be able to make the track. Mm. Martha Corey was arrested on charges of witchcraft in March. Her husband was called in to testify against his wife. He mentioned that his ox and pet cat had become ill. Also, that she would kneel in front of the fireplace to pray, but never said her prayers out loud. And as he was throwing his wife under the cart, the afflicted girls started to accuse him. Mm. She had skeletons in her closet as well as her husband. She had an illegitimate child of mixed race. And on March 20th, Abigail Williams claimed to see the woman's specter in the shape of a yellow bird sitting on a beam near the ceiling of the meeting house. Martha was convicted on September 10th, 1692, and hanged 12 days later. She outlived her husband, who was pressed to death, three days earlier on September 19th. And 11 years after her hanging, she was posthumously restored as a member of the church. Now, part of the reason why she was accused was because the Puritans would not have allowed her to become a member of the church yeah. because of that illegitimate son. Yeah. So Giles Corey also unleashed his curse at the Howard Street Cemetery next to the present-day uh, Bit Bar Salem. Mm-hmm. If you see him, s- something bad is going to happen to Salem. Yeah, basically, if he speaks they- to you... You will die. Mm -hmm. So it's common for visitors to report heart palpitations or the sensation of a heavy weight on their upper body. And all of the Essex County sheriffs who overlooked that property died of a heart related ailment. And it only stopped when they moved the location of the Essex County Sheriff's Department to Middleton. Yeah. So Corey's spirit was spotted at the Howard Street Cemetery days before the Great Fire of 1914 that completely annihilated two-thirds of the city, and the fire started at Gallows Hill, where 19 innocent people were hanged. Salem's sheriff was determined to get Giles Corey to not only talk but confess to witchcraft. He staked Corey to the ground in a field and piled the rocks on top of his body in an effort to make him talk, to which Corey said, more weight. Before taking his last breath, he told the sadistic Corwin, I curse you and Salem.
1: Which is the best thing to tell a group that is nuts about being cursed or any of this. You know, I mean, it's the best parting words ever. But, you know, now this is starting, you know, September, again, this happened. His wife, along with seven others, September 22nd, three days Mm -hmm. later. And then a turning point finally occurred in October. And perhaps it was because of just the high number of convictions and executions. Leaders began to speak out against the use of spectral evidence. That was a big one. Yeah. And spectral evidence accounted for many of the convictions and was some of the most, again, sensational testimony given in the trials. It also kept the spotlight on the alleged victims which may have been a factor in keeping them going for so long. One of the first to speak out against it was Increase Mather, Cotton Mather's father, Mm -hmm. who was himself a very famous Puritan minister and president of Harvard College at the time. Yeah, He issued a statement on October 3rd, and five days later, Governor Phipps allowed the use of spectral evidence by the court of voyeur and terminer. The next phase of the Salem witch trials involved bureaucracy, finally. (laughs) And by the end of October, uh, Phipps intervened directly by dissolving the court of Oyer and Terminer and releasing many of the people held in jail on witchcraft charges. Yes. He also forbade Salem officials from arresting any more people for allegedly practicing witchcraft. And about a month later, a new superior court called the Superior Court of Judic. Uh, judicature judicature, uh, overseen by the colonial administration for Massachusetts Bay was established to try the remaining witches. And then basically this disillusion of the two courts, unfortunately it didn't end the hysteria in Salem, although it did slow things down especially after local government was prohibited from making more arrests, mm-hmm. the trials could not have occurred in the first place if Salemites did not fervently believe in the existence of witches and the power of the devil in their midst. And that's where again people will issue all these blames that, you know, it was the uh the bread or the um the men, mm-hmm. you know, because twenty percent of the people convicted and killed were men and 80% were women. Mm -hmm. So there's always just this chip on the shoulder of it being men. But I think the big thing, we mentioned it earlier in the beginning, but we packed a lot of stuff in here, which I can't believe we've gotten through this much through here. I I didn't know how we were going to pull this off today. (laughs) At the end of the day, they just fervently believed in the existence of witches and the power of the devil. They did. And that's what did it it wasn't any of this other it was just that idea taking to a level that just shouldn't have went that far right many genuinely believed and undoubtedly most at least suspected that the accusations were real mm-hmm. that's the you know for us looking hindsight we could look and be like man that's just freaking crazy but at that time they were all thinking that this was real mm-hmm. and that it was a really Hard problem. And it's hard to know when the arrests would have slowed if the colonial government had not stepped in.
0: Yeah. Didn't uh, the uh, governor's wife, I think it was Mrs. Phipps got accused. And that's when he went, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Yeah. Enough. Well, you had one of the judges, too. And I mean, it just, you know, further complicating matters was the tricky legal predicament that faced an accused person. Mm -hmm. If a person of uh, accused You know, if if a person was accused of witchcraft, witchcraft confessed, they had a much higher likelihood of keeping their life. Mm -hmm. So those who denied the accusations and were later convicted were the ones who were hanged. Brought this up in the beginning, but it bears repeating. That basically meant in an effort to save their own lives, many people confessed who were not guilty. Mm -hmm. It presented a legal conundrum of what to do with these people who had confessed. Therefore, grappling with the end of the trials and returning to some semblance of normal life was difficult for everyone in Salem, particularly those who had been accused of and confessed to witchcraft, because now you're scarred. Again, if you if you have a legal system, I remember working in the New York State Court of Appeals and talking to a lot of the judges there. And there's this big thing with law that people kind of glaze over. And it's really, really important. When you're trying somebody, you have to have this exit strategy for the person. Yes. Of either they have their guilt proved and that's carried accordingly. Mm -hmm. Or if their guilt's not proved and they're considered not guilty, Mm -hmm. you need an exit strategy for that too. Yes. And that's where you have a problem throughout time. It's not just now where you have... Someone who's tried in the court of public opinion. Yes. And that's what this was. It was yes. public opinion. It
0: definitely was.
1: And I'll give you an example. It's, it's, it's basically like, you know, any kind of trial that comes through, the court of public opinion being the press, right? social media, people going, you could be guilty before you even step step foot in a courtroom just to get the charges read to you.
0: There. Not even
1: just get tried, just to have the charges read to you and put in your plea. You could already be convicted in public opinion before that. And that's what all of this surrounded. And it's it's difficult because you here you have somebody that would confess and say, oh, yeah, no, I was a part of witchcraft. Yeah. Okay, you can live. But if you denied it and you were accused of it, you're hanged.
0: It should be noted that after the fervor around this died down, anyone who was still in prison, because here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. If you were uh, imprisoned, accused as a witch, regardless of whether you confessed or not, you were charged daily for the straw that you laid on yeah, and for any food that you were given. Mm-hmm. So in or, once they were, the remaining people that were in um prison or, or jail, they were pardoned, but they couldn't leave until their quote unquote bill was paid. And yeah. some of these people were poor. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people oh, were yeah. poor. Yeah. And until someone from their family could come and pay for them, they were stuck there. And that's how there well, were five where, other people that's who That's where you died.
1: have, that's where you have some of the arguments with bail. Yeah. You know, where somebody has, you know, say a $70,000 bail Mm -hmm. and they can't afford that. So they're staying in jail the whole time they're in trial. Right. And if your trial goes for say two years, Mm -hmm. you're in jail for two years before anything happens of you, you know, say you're not guilty. Then you just spent two years in jail for no reason, you know, just because you couldn't come up with $70,000. That's where you create that tough bit. Because if you, Again, if you say yes, I was involved in witchcraft. I'm guilty. The your end your end door prizes. You're you're a witch. You're a witch right. in the community. Yeah. Now, if you deny it and you're accused of it, which was pretty easy because that's all you had to have was five of these girls. Yeah. Just say, oh yeah, no, I saw his, I saw his First spirit. Yeah, I saw his, did this. his spirit came over or her spirit came over, and and you know. Did this to me mm-hmm. and you know, created these scratch marks on my arm right. or whatever. You know, well now you're getting hanged. Right. There's yeah. no there's no option. Right. There that's, is no that's viable strategy. And and again, I think everybody has to hear this just to hammer it home. You might have had all these men on the judge panel, but you had girls convicting women. Yes. Young girls, age thirteen to twenty.
0: Convicting, convicting women and men are not
1: convicting. accusing Accusing. women. Yeah. You know, 80% of the women. Now, you got to look at it from the the position of a judge where you're this leading person in the community. Everybody talks to you. Yeah. These series of judges. You know the whole town. You know, say the the parents of these kids, they're going to say, what? You're going to let this person get away with this? Blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. And this is, again, a community that believes in witchcraft and the devil. Correct. To this magnitude. So this is where... It just it gets filled with gasoline and goes nuts. So four years later, after things are are getting down and trying to get to normal, which it really never happened, but a day of uh, fasting and remembrance was held in Salem on January fourteenth, sixteen ninety seven, and prompted by the gravity of the day, Samuel Sewall, one of the men appointed to the court of Oyer and Terminer apologized for his role in the trials, and admitted wrongdoing in the proceedings. He was the only one of the judges who apologized. Yes. Along with a few of the, um, the jurors. Later that year, the town of Salem dismissed uh, Samuel Paris, the minister who had been in the middle of the trials. His removal was another sign that Salem just wanted to basically just move, move on. on and distance themselves. And most notably, Ann Putnam Jr., One of the ringleaders of the young woman who made the accusations in the first place issued a public apology for her role. Her words convey some uh, remorse about her actions and the deaths of so many people. She did not offer a direct explanation, however, for the accusations. And instead, she claimed that she had been tricked by the devil into making the accusations. Mm -hmm. And she seems to claim that at the time. She genuinely believed these lies and was convicted or convinced that her neighbors were using witchcraft honor. So that's the belief that they had. Yeah. One of the original causes of the Salem witch trials was the stark division that was growing between the town and village of Salem, which you brought up in the beginning, Jen and the village, which was more rural and agricultural was renamed Danvers in 1752, further distinguishing itself from the events of the late, 17th century many of the uh of victims had been from salem village now danvers correct that was many of the victims
0: i would like to before we head out go for it i want to deep dive into the sheriff george corwin yeah definitely he was arguably the city's most despised man he was the then sheriff in his 20s and he was the nephew of the the magistrate jonathan corwin And he got a kick out of torturing the accused. He convicted, while the uncle convicted the innocents, his sick and twisted nephew enforced the verdicts, included confiscating the property of the accused. He sent a deputy to the home of Mary Parker the day after she was executed, demanding her son fork over the dead woman's farm and goods. While still mourning the death of his mother, he had to card... Uh, cough up a large sum of money to stop Corwin from demanding corn, hay, and cattle. He was so disliked that when he died of a heart attack in 1696, his family didn't bury him in the cemetery for fear he would be dug up and his corpse desecrated. Corwin was buried beneath his home at the current location of the Joshua Ward House at 148 Washington Street, which is presently a boutique hotel called The Merchant. That's crazy, and it's it's um stated that his ghost haunts that um yeah hotel he was later moved to the Broad Street Cemetery with his uncle, Judge Jonathan Corwin. Corwin's enforcement of the sentences served up by the court were downright cruel. He would confiscate items from the families of the innocents day after days after they were executed. During the pressing of Giles Corey, he used his walking stick to push Corey's tongue back into his mouth as he fought to breathe. <laughs> as he was trying to get him to confess, the sheriff would stand on the rocks, and that's when Corey started to reply, more weight. Corwin was in his 20s during the witch trials, but mysteriously had a heart attack when he turned 30. When he died in 1696, he died a wanted man. How did that happen, you say? Do tell. Although the Supreme Court ruled in 1694 that he was following orders when he confiscated goods, Philip English, a wealthy merchant, repeatedly sued him. Four years after the trials, English threatened to place a lien on Corwin's corpse until his property was returned. English owned a fleet of 21 ships, several buildings throughout downtown in a palatial mansion on Essex Street. He was arguably the richest man in Salem in 1686, which is probably why he and his wife Mary were accused of practicing the dark arts during the hysteria six years later. On April 18th, Corwin and his cronies served a warrant for the arrest of Philip's wife Mary. The following day, Corwin brought her to the Cat and Wheel, a tavern near the old meeting house, and she was locked in a room on the second floor. Philip visited his wife three times a day. And while she was being held, one of the afflicted girls, Susanna Sheldon, accused Philip of being a witch as well. She said he stepped over his pew and pinched her during a church service on April 24th in a very sad manner. Sheldon claimed he brought her the devil's book and forced her to sign it or he would cut her throat. Weeks earlier... Sheldon had claimed to see Mary's apparition alongside a dark man with a tall hat. Because of his social status, he was sent to Boston. And while he was there, he arranged for his wife to join him. During their stay, they maneuvered a prison break and fled to New York. And that was in a carriage donated by friends. He learned of the drought in Salem and had a ship full of corn sent to feed the suffering in Salem. They returned to Salem in 1693 after the governor of Massachusetts, Sir William Phipps, issued a general pardon of the remaining accused witches. And after returning to Salem, Mary died during childbirth in 1694. Philip passed away 42 years later.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. So when I was listening to the Unobscured podcast, one of the accused was my family relative, John Alden, mm-hmm. who wasn't even in, he was, not only was he not in Salem, he wasn't even in Massachusetts. He was in Maine. Yeah. And he got sent back to Massachusetts with, it was some sort of directive. He was fighting a battle in Maine. Yeah. So he was bringing directive back to Massachusetts. And that's when, you know, he found out all of this, witch trial stuff was happening. Yeah, I was reading about that. And one of the girls accused him, and Philip English, he was able to buy his way out of yeah. prison, essentially. He wasn't held in Salem. He was held in Boston. Yeah. So it seems that those that were in Boston, and if they had means, they were able to get out and, and get away. So, yeah. fun fact, there's my there's <laughs> my tie to the uh, yeah, yeah. the witch trials.
1: Well... You know, it's uh it's a pretty amazing part of history. I think it's it's a history more about the Puritans than anything else. You get into it at first and you you're all about the people that were considered the witches and all that, but at the end it's this big Puritan story. It is. And and
0: I think it speaks to zealousness. So, like, if you have a a an intense fervor or an intense zeal or passion for whatever it is, mm-hmm. be it your religion or, you know, this thing that you're into, a cult, what have you. Yeah. That's very much how this can happen. You can see how it can happen because you're so deep into it that you've lost that, that ability to see the, outside the of perspective, it, to see yeah. the perspective. Yeah. Big picture. Well, it's
1: kind of, you know, on a very simple level, just to dumb it down to its lowest common denominator, it's basically like getting up in the day and just being, say, like a pessimist versus an optimist.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: So like a pessimist, they're just going to look and that they're just going to say today's shit. Right. Yeah. And guess what? If you think today's shit, it's going to be a shitty day. That's all, all you're going to yeah. do is see the shittiest. Yep. Now, again, that goes in the other direction. You can be guilty of just only seeing the good. Mm-hmm. And you could be so deep in tunnel vision into the good that you don't get, you've lost touch with the bad, mm-hmm. and you just don't even allow that thought for bad at all. Right. Yeah. It's equally as dangerous. Yeah. Let's just say. Yes. You know, or not dangerous, misleading. Yes. It's it's equally misleading, and so, you know, I'm not going to say the direct correlation of this. I think. People who have common sense are going to put it together, but you have a lot of this going right now.
0: Yes, we do. In
1: various levels. Yes. It's not just one thing. No. I'd say it's probably three major things that are going on right now that have this type of ingredients baked in the cake. Right. And you have people that are so fervent in that belief, that's all they see.
0: Right. There's no big picture. And that's
1: all they talk about. It's all you can communicate with them. It's all consuming. It's all consuming. Every topic that you talk about goes right into that.
0: Everything. Right into that topic.
1: Everything. You could be talking about how good uh, a a brownie was that you were eating. And somehow they'll maneuver that conversation into that thing they've possessed their whole, that topic they've possessed their whole life into.
0: Fun fact, I have Katherine Hepburn's brownie recipe. So (laughs) if anyone is interested...
1: Email us at O-T-H <laughs> at seriouslydecent.com and we'll, uh, we'll give you a, uh, we'll give you a copy.
0: I got Vincent Price's pumpkin pie recipe but, too, if you want it. But
1: basically, yeah, I think that's, there's a lot of that going on today. Like I said, there there's is. there's three major things and I'm not going to get into it cause it's just, right. I don't even want to give it. Divisive. No, I just don't even want to give it credit. Yes. That's where I'm at now. Yeah. I just don't even, I don't think it deserves. I think it's something like this. If people stop talking about it and gave it the attention it needed this is an idea here yes this is what happened with the puritans it's an idea that
0: they not only faster. is
1: witchcraft and and the devil real which even people today believe that and i don't think that's a crime to believe that witchcraft and the devil are real
0: well, i'm gonna take I, it a step because farther.
1: humanity for the longest time has believed that witchcraft and the devil are real that's not under debate here
0: no, but a fun fact, there are a lot more people now than ever before who are claiming not only is witchcraft, not real, but neither is the devil.
1: Uh, I don't know. Cause you've got, you've got a whole subset of people too that, that believe. I still think, I don't agree with that. I think the majority of the people, and I say the devil, I mean like evil. When people say, oh, this is evil. That's. It's a devilish nature, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how many people, and this is a great example of it. This is a small town at the end of the day. It was. This is just one area that lost its mind with this. Yes. And, you know, human beings have always had this idea of witchcraft and the devil. It's not. They have. That's all this shows is that not only was it way before this, it's still today. People believe in it.
0: There are it, people that do believe in it. And if you it.
1: believe in it, then it's real to a certain degree. Yes. It just is. Yeah. And and from there again, it's how deep you go into it. If you let it rule you and you let it make all the choices for you, you give it all the power mm-hmm. that it wants mm-hmm. to it, it'll it'll create this this scenario.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where you know, you could see it through the the dissolution of it, when it ended, people just stopped giving it the time. They distanced themselves from it. They're like, I just don't want yes. anything to do with this. I don't want to talk about it. Yes. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to just anything. Salem
0: itself and, didn't want to talk about it oh, no. for a very long time. 19, and they were trying very hard to distance themselves from it.
1: 1957, the state of Massachusetts formally apologized for the Salem witch trials. Yes, and cleared the names of the remaining alleged witches who had not previously been pardoned. And then in 1992, for the 300th anniversary, several events were held to commemorate what happened. And by this point, they had become a serious part of American lore. The city of Salem dedicated a park in which they erected monuments, or I mean memorials, to the victims of the witch trials. In Danvers, formerly the Village of Salem, a memorial was also erected to the victims. And finally, a project conducted by scholars at University of Virginia announced in 2016 that they had determined the site of the executions was Proctor's Ledge by yes. studying several old maps, reading first-hand accounts and radar, and a memorial stands there as well.
0: It's behind a Walgreens. You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, but... I mean, it just, uh, you know, for more than 200 years, the residents of Salem tried to forget, ignore, or even hide the details of the Salem witch trials. And whether or not one believed in the devil or witches, it was a shameful and disturbing period in their history. Yes. And those Salem witch trials refused to be forgotten. However, you know, they make their appearances in literature, film, televisions, podcasts. Yes. And, you know... Basically, it's just become an important part of American history. Yes. And that's, uh you know, again, when we were talking about Malice Maleficarum mm-hmm. in the previous episode, you need these things visible. You need them in writing. You need them in print. You, you need do. to have them around. You need to have... You, you can't just have all the highlights. you got to have the pimples, the warts, you the do. sores. You do. you got to have all Because there's of a that.
0: lot to be learned from the ton. the horrible experiences. Yeah. At the very least, you should be looking at it as, shit, we can't let this happen again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you can't deny the horrible things from your past. The- you, I'm not saying you embrace them. What I'm saying is you have to... Mm-hmm. You have to take something from it. You have to learn from it. That's what but helps like you anything grow. Anything in
1: history that has a soreness to it like this comes with the greatest statement surrounding it. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Correct. And there yes. was good intentions here. There were. There really, really was. They
0: were fighting the devil.
1: They were fighting the devil. Yes. You know, And if you're someone that's fighting a force that's larger than life, Yes. You know, and it's just, here's the problem when you fight a force. It, I got to think about what I want to say here. I have it in my head, but it's just, you got to be careful when you're fighting for something you can't see or touch. You got to be really careful with that because your the lengths you can go to, to fighting for it are really immeasurable because you can't measure it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. hmm and that's where i hate the group of ideas like people standing for a group of ideas and i think ideas are amazing i think they're magnificent you need to have them you need to have dreams but you need to have some sort of scale of realism around it to measure to know if you're going too freaking far yes and like i said it's like you know we got a lot of that going on today we do with many things and and there's people that are nodding their head right now saying yeah I can't talk to a family member because no matter what I bring up, this comes up. Yes. And this is the wedge that's in between us. Yes. And what you have to look from this story, and I don't have advice to that person, but it's just more of a warning. This is what was happening at the beginning of all this. Yes. You had these two villages. You had a village and a town. You had two warring families. It's so Shakespearean. It's crazy. Yes, which just again shows you how long this stuff has been happening.
0: It's the Montagues and the Capulets. And the Capulets, no, it
1: really <laughs> yeah. is, yeah. you know. And it just shows you that this this shit never changes. It's Mm-mm. the same story. Yes, and and now you've got people on this side and that side, and you know, I'll bring it up again, not to ruin Mal's Mal for entirely with this episode, but this is what happens when you don't. When you're fighting for teams on like this, like, again, it wasn't, you didn't have sports like you do now. Right. I'm going to bring up that same analogy where like, you know, this is where I think sports becoming political is a dangerous thing. Correct. It's very dangerous. It's
0: supposed to just be an outlet. Sports was supposed to to be be sports. So
1: that, that relative that I was just talking about earlier that someone couldn't talk to because everything points to this, they could watch one hour of a sporting event
0: or they could watch a sporting event and it was fine and
1: it was just fine it was okay you're rooting for this team you're rooting for that team right you're having some dip and the dip is good you know and and that's it we're now it's going into this zone and we have all of this evidence from history that show
0: don't do that that
1: you can't you shouldn't be doing this because now you're gonna get well, you're either this part of ideas or you're that part Correct. of ideas. Yep. And that's what happened in Salem. And it and it's not, it doesn't go far without saying that all these people that got accused were others. Yes. Quote unquote. Yep. They were just others. They yep. were non-conforming yep. or they just weren't part they of. They were
0: breaking the status quo. They weren't
1: part of the group.
0: They weren't. Yes. You know,
1: to be the other means Again, there's a group.
0: As we were listening to Malus Malificorum. hmm And I was like, my takeaway is I would have said or done something or not said or done something that would have offended someone and I would have been accused as a witch. Same thing here. Well,
1: and again, for us, yes, that's a value. That's a takeaway that everyone's going to have because no one acts like this anymore. No. But in here, this was the majority. And I say it's the majority because it went on for a year unchecked. Yes. If it was 10% that was doing this, it would have got squashed.
0: Yeah. Because-
1: They all would have got stoned in the street. Mm-hmm. They all would have just got missing, beat up, whatever. Yeah. Make, come up with a reason.
0: And we're done here. But
1: this was the majority. Yes. The majority was doing this. And people have to remember that. The malice malficarum, that was the majority. Mm-hmm. Salem witch trials, that was the majority. Go through all these things. World War II and Nazi Germany, that was the majority. Mm-hmm. You got to be careful of that. And once that stuff gets momentum, forget it. Because now if you disagree with it, you're the other.
0: Right. Yeah. You've.
1: If you want to, if you you want to bring up yourself. Yeah. But if you want to bring up just another way of looking at it, no, you're the other. Yeah. If you want to just talk about it, but you know, have like an opposing thought. No, you're the other. Yeah. There's a lot of that going around. There is. And there is people that are talking under bated breath saying this is pretty fucking scary. Yeah. And you know what? It is. It is. Just admit it. It's healthy. Yeah. Don't let somebody tell you, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel it's okay, then guess what? It's not okay. Right. Trust your gut. But I can't believe we got through all this. We did it. I can't and believe it. Wasn't it
0: wasn't six hours long, you guys. No,
1: no. I, I didn't think we'd be able to get through all this because we love talking about this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> However, next week.
0: Tarot. Tarot.
1: Yes. Very excited for Tarot. I'm in a realm that Guys, I'm... you
0: got to let me know if you want to see all of my tarot cards because I can share them on the group.
1: We could get them on one shot, right? Maybe. We'd have to clear this table. We'd have to clear this table. Yeah. Very excited to do tarot. Yes. I recently started getting into the whole, um, idea of it mm-hmm. and, uh, it's been fun reading it. So yeah, we're definitely going to, uh, I'm going to take the role of the person who knows absolutely nothing of tarot and discuss that next week. And Jen's going to get into the nerdy bits of tarot. That'd be a safe assumption, I, right?
0: I, I, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. basically what it's going to be. Got,
0: I, I've got a lot of decks. Yeah.
1: Well, you can have a lot of decks and know nothing. You know.
0: Yeah, you can. But yeah. here's the thing, There's though. people who collect cars Generally, and they don't
1: work on them. Doesn't mean they know how cars work.
0: Yeah, but tarot's not like that. (laughs) Generally, if you have a deck, it's because you're kind of into it. And then the more you get into it, the more you're like... I'm purposely
1: going to buy 50 decks just to tell you, I don't know what any of these fucking things do.
0: You would do that.
1: Yeah, I would. I have the resources. Ever. Ever. No, we're very excited for that. Uh, Again, thank you so much for listening. And... um. We are grateful for your continued support and listening to the podcast. And we really hope you're just having an awesome October. Yes. You know, because it's... This is it, guys. This is it.
0: (laughs) This is what we've been gearing up for all year. Only
1: a couple more weeks, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we hope you're having a great time. If you're in the Northeast area of the United States, you're doing the fall things. Yes. Picking yes, apples, so you are. drinking cider. Yep. Wearing Han Solo outfits, ladies. <laughs> and uh, we fortunately live in a neighborhood that's very Halloween themed. Everybody decorates. It's very
0: Halloween uh positive, yeah. which hasn't always been the case for us yeah. and Well, fam- we lived
1: in the middle of nowhere before this. I mean, so. we
0: did, but yeah. I mean, I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere my whole life, mm-hmm. aside from now, and yeah. uh, always had trick or treaters, except uh, when you her. cancer. But yeah. Things, whatever.
1: Yeah. No. So we get two hundred trick or treaters at least here.
0: It's great. I love it. And we
1: are a full can, full size candy bar house.
0: We are. We're. I'm we're, living my best life. We're one you of guys. them guys.
1: So if you can be a full-size candy bar house, sweet. I highly recommend it. No, if not, I understand it. It's expensive.
0: It is. You know.
1: However, don't judge any of the trick-or-treaters.
0: No. Hand uh, out the candy. And and there are some kids who are Mm nonverbal. If you can't say trick-or-treat, you're still getting a candy bar.
1: You know, your job is to hand out candy, not judge. Yes. So with that being said, rule number one.
0: No Ouija bores.
1: Rule number two. No dolls. Rule number three. No capes. Four.
0: No blood rituals.
1: Five. No
0: cult, satanic or otherwise. Six. No apathy. You need to act to help enact a positive change in the world. If that episode you just listened to, well, Malice and mm-hmm. the Salem Witch Trials yeah. has taught us nothing. It's taught us you can't. You yeah. can't just sit back.
1: So, folks, I hope you have a wonderful day, a beautiful week,
0: and make good choices.
1: Take care, folks.